Well, there is this there is this way in which you know, sort of Western Europeanized sort of therapy sort of goes about trying to help people. Yeah. And that's kind of you know that's kind of the way we get trained in school. Yeah. And um, you know, but it's not the only way. It's not the only way. It's not the only way to help people find who they are and how they can be the best of them. Okay, so this, this is like an everything right here. I think what you just started with. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to episode 79 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast. The Pobscast is a collection of weekly connectfulness conversations where we examine how to create deeply restorative ripples of transformation within ourselves and with the world around us. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and mentor to therapist changemakers. It's important for immigrants and people of color to be able to find a therapist with some commonalities, and yet it's often difficult to navigate. In this episode, we're talking about relational healing in the context of racism, sexism, and power dynamics with John Edwards. John is a licensed clinical social worker and a certified Gottman Method couples therapist in Oakland, California. He has over 28 years of experience in practice. As an immigrant from the Caribbean and a gay black man, John's experiences help him relate to clients who feel marginalized or unheard in society. John knows that there isn't just one way for relationships to work and that everyone has a different story no matter where they began. Couples and families of color have to face issues of racism, sexism, and complicated relationship issues in ways unknown to white people. John sees this in his practice and highlights why the majority of white therapists don't understand or relate to the experiences of an immigrant or a racial minority. John shares how deep-seated wounds from our childhoods play into relationship issues and how we perceive even the most innocuous words and actions. In his work as a Gottman Method therapist, John has learned the skills needed to actually listen and to hear what his clients say. These same skills that are useful in couples work are exactly what our world needs today. I want to also mention that John and I recorded this conversation a good while back. It's been sitting waiting for the right time to be released and I have a feeling that it's perhaps even a more critical discourse today in our political climate than it was at the time of recording. So please take some time and digest this conversation with us. Let's dive in. So welcome, John. I am so excited that you're here with us on the Practice of Being Seen podcast today. I have You're somebody that I have gotten to know a little bit over social media. It's funny how that works that way. And I have been really interested in getting to know in a personal way. And so I'm really excited about this opportunity. Well, thanks for having me. You know, you were talking a little bit before we started um, this recording today. You were sharing with me how you work a little differently than some other therapists. Yes. So, you know, I, so I'm a, I'm a social worker by training and, um, and one of the things that I've discovered over the years is that, you know, there's this idea that there's only like one way, there's like one way to be relational. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true. In fact, I'm convinced it's not true. So that, you know, we get trained in a very particular way, but and then it's sort of kind of Western European homogenous, like this is how it works, you know. But you know, we're not all from Vienna in the nineteen, you know, you know the early nineteen hundreds. Thank uh, God for uh, that. I know. Right? So, <laughs> so lies, but so much of that stuff has been passed down, and you know, and there's a lot of great material in there. It's, I'm not saying you know throw the entire thing out. But there's so much of there's so many things that really I think needs to be just examined um, when you are talking with someone who you know especially when you're talking with someone who may be an immigrant, um, a person of color, and whose story 
even if they're not an immigrant or a person of color or they're, they're not LGBTQIA, whose story may have already from an early part of their life start to evolve differently than one what might have expected, right? So even if the person is Caucasian from Kansas City, doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that's how their story evolved in sort of the traditional kind of way. And so therefore, it doesn't necessarily mean that kind of hodgeous way that we get trained in therapy school is necessarily the best way to work with that person. So what, what I'm hearing right now, and please correct me if I'm not hearing you fully, but what I'm hearing is that we make a lot of assumptions when yes. we step into the room. And especially when we guide people in a relational way, even if it's just through our relationship with them, but also certainly when we give advice, that there are times where we need to slow down and listen more. Yes. Yes. And you can have, I mean, I think uh, I was just commenting on one of the, the message boards on, on Facebook that, you know, I've had clients uh, come into my office and say, oh, this is crooked. That's crooked. We need to straighten it up. Would you like me to redo this for you so it can be, you know, better? And Like right? the picture on your walls? Yes, like the yeah. picture on my walls. The pictures on my walls. I have a door sign, you know, various things, right? And then my office is, is basically the same. It doesn't really change much, except that I did get a new clock. And everybody noticed that. <laughs> and, um, and, um, but then I also have other clients that come in and say to me they feel very uncomfortable because my office, my office is too organized and it's too neat, right? So it's the same office. I think if we can take a step back and just really understand that, as you said earlier, how we show up is really important but you know we are able to show up in different ways for different people yeah right and it's not just sorry go ahead yeah and it's not just one way it's not just like well i only practice this way um because if you come in you know sometimes i have adult clients and they they have a difficult time um you know just sitting and talking and you know i think hmm well how can i help this person and so, you know, one homogenous way that I often hear is where people say, well, I just sit in silence with them, right? Which, in my mind, could be a repetition of, you know, what their dad did to them. Just the sit in silence. The clients would not stick around if I sat in silence. Right, right, right. Just, <laughs> yeah, just, right? And so sometimes I say, hey, uh, you know, I have Uno. And I say, let's play some Uno. And it's amazing how people start playing Uno. Grown adults, you know, 40, whatever, because they played with their kids or grandkids, of, you know. And, you know, then they start talking about what are the rules again and da, da, da. And then we just, you know, we have a, a real interactional conversation. And, um, you know, things pop up. And they say things like, oh, my gosh, why are you getting all of these draw fours? You know, you're just killing it right now. And, you know, and then we have a real conversation. Yeah, a relationship, though. I, I do yeah. something very similar. I don't use Uno in session, but I use Jenga. And it's, yes, I use Jenga as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I find Jenga, just as a quick aside, I find that Jenga is really interesting to use with couples when you don't tell them what the rules are and you have them make up the rules and see how malleable they are for changing those rules when rules needed to be changed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to watch how couples play together or if they can. <laughs> yes. I'm a, I'm a, um, you know, one of the things I, I do is I'm a certified Gottman method couples therapist. One of the first and 300 certified Gottman method. Couples yes, therapists. One of the first 300 and I am the first black person um, to become a certified Gottman. Which is method. big. Yeah. So it's, it's big. And I like to tell people I'm the only person west of the Mississippi because somehow that sounds sophisticated. <laughs> I'm still the only I'm still the only male. Um, so one of the things that happens, which I kind of enjoy, um, is that you know, um, uh, you know, men of color, whether they're black or Middle Eastern or you know East Indian or something they will usually say something 
to their wife or girlfriend. I will only go to couples therapy if you find me a man of color, a black man or a Latino man or something, right? And then people search me, they find me, and then they're like, oh, oops. (laughs) And actually, in in my experience, what what I found and sort of what my Gottman colleagues say as well is that, you know, we always tend to worry a little bit more um, when the the male calls in a heterosexual relationship yeah. and says, "We're looking. I'm, you know, we're 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 looking for counseling because it's basically this is the last straw, mm. and it's like, not only is it the last straw, I am actually not picking up the straw. This is what the wife says. If you if you want this to work, if you want, then you gotta go." go do something and I mean it typically works that way because when folks come in then you know you know the relationships are in a lot of distress just a lot of distress yeah so you're bringing couples back from the brink I try to I try to um it's not on you if you can't you know one of my mentors is Terry Real and he talks a lot about practicing a non-attachment to outcome yeah well I guess that's a hard one for me. <laughs> That's a hard one. The non-attachment to outcome, because again, you know, coming from the coming from the perspective of a black man, and coming from the perspective of um, you know just sort of the the societal issues that you know families of color have to face. And that's, that's harder for me to sort of say, you know, not, but, but, you know, so it's, it's. Can you break that down for our listeners though? Because I, I want to make sure we're not missing anything in that, in, in the, you know, we all hold different stories Mm -hmm. and I think this is really clear for you and, and for some of our listeners, but I think maybe even for me and for some of our other listeners, I'm not totally sure if I fully understand you, although I want to. I think there's something in there that I, I, my own experience doesn't inform me about, and I, I want to know more. So, you know, one of the things that, that happens for people of color, which is, you know, sort of different for Caucasian folks, is like, you know, when something happens, Caucasian people tend to view themselves individually, right? So it's like, um, you know, take, take the, you know, the tragedy in Vegas, right? So it's a Caucasian man. And so no one is necessarily going around right now, generally speaking, being afraid of Caucasian men, right? It's just, it's, it's not really happening. Now, a person of color does something, and then what starts to happen is that that starts to bleed out into, oh, I am now concerned about men of color. And so therefore, people of color, men of color, then, you know, we, we now have that attached to us, that now people are afraid of us because of an event, you know, by just, by the mere fact we have, you know, certain physical attributions. And so if a family of color, if a couple of color comes in, I know that, uh, and oftentimes, which has been my specific experience, oftentimes they have gone to another therapist um, and because there are not a lot of in the Bay Area, there are just not a lot of therapists of color and black male therapists. There just aren't that many. So oftentimes they've gone to a Caucasian therapist. And oftentimes what I hear is that the therapist just didn't understand what we were experiencing or, 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 or going through. And a lot of that has to do with just understanding what the lived experience is. Yeah. Right? Just, and, and so for me, I have to now, I, I, for me, it becomes, you know, how can, I, how can I help this couple not only sort of try to repair their relationship, but how can I also make sure that they know that I understand that this is actually extra difficult because you're not just working in your relationship. You're working on your relationship in the context of you also have other stressors of racism, sexism, um, you know, access to stuff. And these kinds of things now make it extra difficult to yes. work on your relationship. Yeah. And I, I think this is probably true for a lot of 
couples of color that are coming and seeking therapy or a lot of people of color that are coming to seek therapy. Um, and I think it's, it's a, certainly a place where not all therapists are culturally competent. Right. And even if our hearts want to be, even if we try to empathize, it's not always something we know how to do because as you've said, we don't have the same lived experiences. Yes, and I think the other thing is is that people get afraid. <laughs> therapists get afraid and they go, oh, oh no, they just talked about race, uh-oh. <sighs> and, then, and then people can say very unhelpful things. Yeah. Like, I don't see color. Don't oh, that do that. I mean, when I, my, my first therapist just was not able to understand. Mm. I know she tried, but she just was not able to understand the immigrant experience. What was that like for you to, to be on the other side of that? And how has that informed you as a therapist? You know, at the time, I, um, and this is, you know, this is the other thing, you know, we often, People often, I often hear, and maybe this is just me, but I often hear folks talk about, you know, the sacred space of therapy and, and, um, and the power that is, you know, the, the power dynamic and people often downplay that power dynamic. Because, it's huge. You know, because they're somehow, I, <laughs> I don't really understand what it is that they're saying sometimes, you know, about like somehow this, I'm not the expert there, the, you know, just that stuff, I, I don't really understand it, quite frankly. But what happened for me is that, you know, here I was this black, young black gay man uh, in New York City, um, you know, trying to live the sort of the immigrant dream, so to speak, and, um, and going to an expert, right? So I'm going to an expert because culturally that's where I come from someone that has trained and gotten education about not, is an expert, right? So they know what they're doing. Not that they're perfect, but they know what they're doing. And so I remember um, just kind of sitting there going, you know, okay, I just have to give that up because it's, it's, it's just never going to happen. Give up the desire for the expertise that, that someone else give would up, bring that? or uh, give, up, give up the idea that somehow she's going to understand what it is that I – as trying to sit her. So oftentimes when oh, immigrants I'm just pausing country, in that. That that is a big give up. It was. Indeed it was. It was. Because, you know, and the the thing is is that, you know, you know, especially, you know, African immigrants, actually just a lot of immigrants, there's this sort of collective, right? Somebody comes and then somebody sends for other people and then everybody comes and then everybody tries to do stuff. And um and the part that I think was, that was hard for her to understand is just that, you know, I'm in that, but I'm also a gay man. And so that means the trajectory that one would normally go on, I can't go on because I decided to come out and live my life as a gay man, which from the Caribbean is, is very problematic. But that's, you know, that's probably another podcast, but it's very problematic. And so... You know, her thing was sort of a sort of a very Americanized, you know, individuate and you'll be fine. Um, and, and but for you, individuating was a, a cultural affront. Yes. Indivi you know, what I, what I needed at that time was some acknowledgement that, oh, my God, this is terrifying. And even if she had said, well, dude, I don't really know what to tell you. <laughs> right. It would have been fine because I would have been like, all right. I mean, I don't know what to say either, but. Here's what, here's the idea that I have. Like, what do you think? Does it sound, you know, am I, do you think I'm missing something? Do you think I should explore something else? That would have been. Helpful. It would have been a, a joining in a, in a not knowing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I would have been like, okay, so I'm not crazy not to know this. Because, you know, I didn't. I mean, and I, you know, I eventually, um, I eventually, uh, you know, worked it out one of the things that would have been helpful was encouragement to sort of seek out other folks, uh, you know, in my other people situation. who are also immigrating other, other people who you can relate to. Yes. Other specifically other LGBT immigrants. Yes. That would have been very helpful. And I eventually sort of stumbled on that. And, uh, and that was very helpful. Was it a community um, that you ended up finding? 
I, I, or did you make a community? <laughs> I, found, I, just, I, um, I just started, um, I met a couple of people. I went to, I think, the, um, the LGBT center in New York City and they had like, you know, they had like all of these things for Caucasian people and then it's like this one posting for, you know, um, I think it was called like Black Men Meet or something like that. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go to that. And, um, and that's where I met other black men and then other uh, black men who were of Caribbean. Who were also and, immigrants. Right, who were, who, were, who, were, who were also immigrants. And, you know, there is... The reality is, and then, you know, it may sound harsh, the reality okay. is there is nothing, um, as much as we want to, you know, treat people with dignity and respect and equally and all of that kind of stuff. There is just something about being with one's own in terms of the own that one grew up with. Right. There's, yeah. there's, there's yeah. like, there's like nothing, nothing like that. And it doesn't mean that, you know, anything, but you know, I, and I've seen it. I, when I lived in New York city, um, it, I just, I observed, um, you know, we had, I worked in a hospital outpatient and there was a Russian sort of, uh, they call them patient representatives. And then there was a Russian doctor and their interactions were stereotypically Russian. They would just, she would just barge in the office, put a paper in front of her and she would sign. And there, you know, there wasn't a lot of, Hey, may I talk to you? Which is sort of American. It was a shorthand. Yeah. So it's just going out, you're done. But then I also saw her, when she would go to some of the other doctors, she would stop by the door, she would knock, she would say, hey, do you have a minute? This is what I need. And, um, right, but there's just that comfort level of just sort of being with one's own. And I think, uh, or, or as similar to as one own as one can get. I'm, and, I'm, I can't help but thinking right now, because, you know, when I, in so much of our work, family of origin stuff comes up, right? Mm -hmm. And what you're describing about that comfort and familiarity of being with one's own, on some level, it also feels like sibling stuff, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. um, I have a sibling, my kids have, I have more than one kid, so they have siblings. There's always like an othering that happens among siblings, but at the same time, they know each other's inner world better than anybody else does because they grow up in the same way. Yes. And so this is taking that kind of experience for, for those who might not be immigrants and might not be able to understand it. It's magnifying that kind of experience to bigger and bigger levels. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. I, I can't relate on a very personal level, but my family of origin story is that my grandparents were Holocaust survivors and they immigrated to the United States after World War II, after they were years after they were liberated and they created a community that they called Greenhorns, which were other survivors. And they all lived together. They like shared two or three family homes and they took care of each other. Mm -hmm. yes. In a very similar kind of, we need people like us kind of way. Yes. And you can also find this, you know, which, which I think is why this, you know, this just one's capacity to really be present with one's client is so important. And which is why I, you know, I talk about this idea about this sort of homogenous way of being present. It's really, to me, the only thing that really needs to be homogenous is one's capacity to be present and open to whatever the energy and information is that you're getting. Mm -hmm. And then to really pay attention to how you're processing that energy and information. Because um, if you're processing it in a certain way as to, as to say, well, this is not important for this person, or this is not important for that person, or something really needs to be important, and the person, you know, for whatever reason, is not really grasping grasping that right so um you know i'm probably gonna horrify like a third of your audience maybe two-thirds of our, of your I, audience. I doubt it. we're the rebels but, but <laughs> you know i actually will say to my clients 
don't do that because you know this is not going to end well so sometimes you know, and you know and a lot of times it's like you know sometimes i hear folks say well i never tell a client what to do but for me it's like it's the first time that somebody's actually sticking their neck out for them and saying hey this is going to get you in trouble and um, i don't want you to get in trouble so let's not go down that road and we can talk about how come this road made sense to you in the first place. But first, let's make sure you're not going to do that thing that's going to get you fired or, you know, some, you know, something. I love that, John. I uh, love so. that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I, I remember, you know, I've had a number of clients who have said to me, I'm so glad you told me not to do that. <laughs> I paid attention. <laughs> and, you know, and we talk about it. It's not just about, you know, dictating. Uh, what to do? And I it's always tell, right, and I and I, I always tell the clients. I say, you know, look, ultimately it's up to you. I'm just saying, you know, based on what you're telling me and what I'm hearing, I'm just really concerned about this other thing here. And you know, I'm sort of, you know, I'm sort of at the bird's eye view, so I can actually see the cliff. So what you're out. saying here to me, what the way I'm internalizing your words and and what I'm hearing is hey, wait, hold on, pause, I care about you. And I don't want to let you hurt yourself. Yes. I mean, that's the message that I'm hearing and you're embedded in there. I care about you and I don't want to let you hurt yourself. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how so many clients, you know, are, are sort of a, a little surprised by, you know, by, by that idea. And and they you know they kind of some you know some of them kind of look at me kind of weird. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Really? Because I you mean, know. let let's talk about that for a minute, right? Like, what? Where else do we get that kind of message? Ideally, we get it in our families when we're growing up, but not always. And if we're talking about um, clients who may have emigrated, who knows what age they emigrated at? I know I've worked with some clients who have immigrated at like 16, 17 years old by themselves. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. and so that changes the the boundaries that are going to be set for them. Yes, uh, yes, and their stories, and just the I think the other thing is just the profound aloneness that can be experienced. Yeah. You know, the aloneness, the 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 feeling of responsibility. You know, I I often. Um, you know, sometimes my immigrant clients come in and they, they, they sort of has it, you know, they're struggling financially and then, you know, they'll say, Oh, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to sort of pay my rent a little bit late this month because I need to send money back to, you know, whatever their home country is. And unfortunately, you know, some of my clients have had the experience of, of being shamed for that, right? Because the American way is you pay your rent on time and that's it. Um, you know, in other kinds of countries, you know, credit is that, do I know your family? Mm-hmm. And if I know your family, okay, we're good. Um, you know, that's the credit. And you come back and you say, hey, I can't give you all the money this, you know, this week. How about? And people go, okay. And, um, and so when I say to clients, I say, I understand, I understand you have to send money back to whoever, because, you know, grandma is sick or whatever it is and stuff like that. And then I try to, you know, I try to balance it out. I said, you know, but the challenge is, you know, how can, how can you do that in a way that honors both where you come from, who you are, and also doesn't you know, put you on a trajectory of negative outcomes and consequences here. And sometimes that's really tough. But people so appreciate just the acknowledgement that, you know, they're not acting irresponsibly. Yes. Yeah, because because you understand also the why, the why behind the behavior. Yeah. 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 And and I'm thinking about as as you're talking about this, I'm hearing you talk about balancing these different kind of cultural pieces, but I can't help but hear the relational components of this and how so much of these navigations that you're talking about are similar to the navigations that couples go through. Yes. 
which is one of your specialties. Yeah, uh, I, actually, I know a lot of people like, oh my gosh, we don't want to. I don't want to work at companies, which is fine. But I really do. I really, I really enjoy um, working with couples. And you know, in the interest of full disclosure, I, I am a little bit of a Gottman groupie. And um, and so, and so, one of the things that happens is. Um, Oh, that I've heard over the years is that people will say like, oh, well, Gottman is only a whole bunch of skills and, you know, nothing really, you know, nothing deep happens in, in, uh, in Gottman work. I, and, I'm going to guess that you're disagreeing with that. Yes, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. It, you know, again, if we, you know, think of uh, families of color, couples of color, and, you know, you can, you know, you can create the space where they can talk about uh, some of the things that happened to them as child, as children in their childhood, and how that then impacts how they are present in their current relationship and the kinds of things that they do and why those things make sense to them, right? And so, for, for example... Um, you know, the idea of sort of getting up and not saying good morning, um, you know, to your, for so many, mm -hmm. <laughs> to your partner, or if you are, you know, visiting someone, the idea that you don't, even if grandma is down in the basement, the idea that you don't actually make the effort to go down to the basement to see grandma and say good morning can cause a tremendous amount of distress in a relationship. It's, it's about respect. Yes. And if people say, so if you have a partner that doesn't have the same type of family of origin issues, which and you have, most couples, honestly, right, which, right, which most conflict. couples, right. Yeah. And so, you but if we're in the same town and have the same exactly. conflict, exactly. <laughs> And so you have, you know, you can have one person who, who, who says, or, you know, there's the issue about sort of parenting kids and, you know, what the kid says or doesn't say. And oftentimes these things are, um, these things are, you know, these, the sort of repetitive behavior to try to repair something where somebody, you know, a husband or a wife got in trouble like deep traumatic kind of beatings and all kinds of stuff because they didn't say good morning or because, you know, something like that. And then that stuff gets, you know, put on to the kid. And so now they're arguing about parenting, right? And the argument is now, the argument on the surface looks like it's just parenting styles, right? right? And it's not, not right? It's not. It's this, it's this deep-seated wound that hasn't been healed. And so the Gottman method gives very specific skill, skills and structure and how to get there because it's not easy to get there. And most of us kind of flounder around when we try to do that naturally. And so I always tell my clients, this is the way we're doing it. Do not deviate. This is the way we're doing it. And, you know, they go, oh, and then they do it. And, you know, the, just the, the waterfall of tears yeah. just for the opportunity to share with the other person, you know, the other partner is like, why not? This is how things were experienced when I was growing up. This, this is why you're not understanding. X, exactly. Y. Yes. Yeah. And I say to folks all the time, it's listening, active listening, which is not listening in rebuttal mode. Well, you told me that last week, that's listening in rebuttal mode. <laughs> it's active listening. It's validating. It's like, wow, oh my gosh, I can see. Wow, I had no idea. Wow, that just looks terrible. That's and a hard place for people to get to. People are yes. taught that. They're not, they don't grow up knowing how to do that. Exactly, exactly. And so it's, you know, just all of this support of like, okay, let's take a breath. Let's just talk. Just listen. We're not going to go to problem solving, which men typically like to do. Um, and some women. Yes, and some women. Uh, <laughs> like, so what's the solution here? Like, no, you got to really, my, one of my favorite things that I say is that one has to understand completely 
before one gets to an intervention yes. what do you think the problem is i said otherwise you can end up with a flat head screw and a phillips screwdriver right there's nothing wrong with the screw and there's nothing wrong with the screwdriver they just don't work it's together not, right it's just not a good match mm-hmm. yeah and so you know in 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 helping in helping couples it's it's the idea of again being able to support and create space and especially you know couples of color to actively create that space and actively say it is not normal to get beaten with a skillet right that's just not normal i know you may have been taught and i just had this conversation on a on a um and one of the um, therapists of color groups where people are like, oh, well, I'm fine, and I was beaten, and da, 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 you know, people, and I say to them, I said, hmm, interesting. You know, I grew up without a car seat, and I'm sure all of you grew up with a car seat. Who in their right mind would put their child or grandchild in a car without a car seat and seat belt? Nobody. You'd be like, oh, what? We can't do that. As I say, as Maya Angelou says, we know better now, so we should do better. We know better, yeah. 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 You know, th- this is resonating for me, this conversation on a few different levels. I, um, my husband, my partner is um, half Filipino and half Chinese. And then there's me with my Jewish heritage. And so culturally, we are like this melting pot. And mm-hmm. we're always trying to learn more even about ourselves so that we can right. share that with each other. And we have certainly had our share of hiccups and our share of triumphs. You know, there's, there's all of those things because that's what relationships are. They're, they're a messy place to learn and to grow together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really appreciate this conversation because I think as much as in my relationship, it's cultural, it's cultural in every relationship. It is. Right? It and is. I think one of the things that I'm hearing you highlight about why perhaps you like the Gottman Method is because in being skills-based, it it helps to kind of you share you disseminate the skills you share the skills which helps you go deeper into exploring what the differences are and and working them through together yes that the skill is in how you listen it's in how you hear each other yes and you know it really since we're on the practice of being seen it's really about helping people to be seen Right? Do you see me? Like, do you see how vulnerable I become when I hear you yell at the kids? Right? Do you see what that, how, what happens to me as 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 a human being? What What does that do to me? Yeah. 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 Right. And when people can see that, um, you know, it's transformational. I know. it's (laughs) It's it is absolutely amazing what can happen it's absolutely amazing what can happen of course the hard part is this you know helping people to be able to do to learn that, the skills to do that right to do that process of I, I can't help but think and i think this often and this might not be the first time my listeners have heard me say this but i i always come back to this place when we're doing deep profound couples work and transformation and we're helping people be seen and heard and listened to and I keep thinking like this is the same healing that our world needs. Yes. We just, we're doing it with two people or so at a time, but the skills are the same. I agree. Perhaps I'm, I've gotten a little less hopeful. <laughs> the last. We're living in tough less, times. <laughs> I've gotten a little less hopeful. Um, or perhaps you know, one of my friends said to me, we were talking, and I've known her for a long, long time, and we just talk about stuff. And so we were just talking about sort of what's happening in the world. And, um, and I haven't spoken to her since. Actually, I, I haven't spoken to her. The last time I spoke to her was before Sunday. Uh, so I haven't spoken to her since Sunday. So, and, and, and for our listeners who are, who are listening and not knowing exactly when the show is going to air, Sunday was the shooting in Las Vegas. Yes. And, um, but we were talking, there was something else that happened. Oh, I think is, you know, all the rhetoric between the United States and North Korea. And so she was saying that, you know, she kind of devours every little piece of the news that she can get online. And she's reading all of these, you know, 
all of these various websites and BBC and, you know, um, other various websites about, you know, all of the dialogue and stuff like that. And so my response to her is like, well, you know, I actually don't do that. She's like, you don't? I'm like, yeah, I see whatever, you know, whatever the most um, outlandish headline is of the moment will pop up when I, when I um, log on to my computer from Google or whoever. I said, but this is what I've decided. I decided I'm going to look up in the sky. I'm going to go, hmm, nuclear bomb. I hope I make it to Whole Foods. <laughs> That's kind of how I've decided that I'm going to deal with that. You're, you're um, choosing to live in the moment. Yeah, I'm just like, you know what? I, I mean, what, what, what can I do? Not much. And so I've decided that I want my moments to be, you know, moments based on what's happening now so I connect with myself and my friends and my family and not, you know, which is a hard thing to do. And I know, you know, it's, it, perhaps it's not, you know, uh, everybody can do it. But I also, you know, I also give money to places that, you know, where people really like doing the stuff. They're not, you know, they're like, they're like, okay, let's go. Like, well, and I, I think we all, all have different ways of kind of holding and doing what we can. And, and a big part of, um, I, I recently recorded in another episode on um, personal activism, mm -hmm. right? Which is, is very much like knowing where you need to filter and where you're ready to step forth and do something. Right. We, yes. can't, we can't all take on every issue. That would, it would be debilitating. Yes. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I, I learned the hard way. Mm -hmm. But thank goodness I learned it. You learned it. I learned it. And one of the things that I learned is that, you know, I mean, my practice is primarily insurance-based and, you know, kind of hence I'm always full. But I also had to learn that um, I am not able to be the black therapist for all of Oakland. Can't do it. Just can't do it. Even if your heart says, I'd love to try. Yes, even if my heart says, I'd love to try. Actually, I've, my heart is not going okay, you're just, you're, you're, you're at what you're doing. And you're doing the best you can. And, and you yes. need to save some of that, that wonderful John-ness to take care of John. Exactly. And so I had, um, you know, I had like four clients call me this past week. Um, I don't have any evening appointments available. I have like two daytime spots available. They're both working. Um, they're both um, women of color. They're both single parents. Uh, they're both struggling financially. So they're not able to um, pay privately. And, and you know, I, and so I spent some time saying, hey, here are some options that you can figure out to do. And, and that's kind of the way I sort of, you know, balance that out. Rather than just kind of saying, I can't help you. I said, you know, here are some things that you can try that can hopefully um, hopefully you know be a support but then i go back to you know what we talked about in the beginning which is you know that's hard for me because i feel like you know these are people of color there's limited access and these are people that are actually wanting these are women that are actually wanting to get um wanting to get some help can i pause that's, you there and take you yes. a little bit deeper okay because setting that boundary it's it's one of the most challenging things i think that helpers are called to do right just to set yes. that boundary and say there's a limit to how much help i can provide it always yeah. reminds me of that that um spiel on an airplane you know you have to put your own mask on before you can help somebody exactly. else. exactly i use that all the time with my clients and and it's something we have to use all the time with ourselves Mm -hmm. that we have to remind ourselves where those boundaries are because there are things in our lives that also need attention, right? Yes. Yes. I agree 100%. And I also, because um, I have, you know, some clients that are therapists or a therapist in training. And so I say, I also say, you know, we may hear people doing wonderful things and doing lots of wonderful things. I said, but if you think about it as the, you know, if you think about the bell curve, 
sometimes those people are just outside the bell curve, mm-hmm. right? And I, I typically kind of a little bit jokingly say things like, you know, so we all cannot be Nelson Mandela, be in prison for, you know, 40 years and come out and be like, ah, I forgive you. We all can't do that. And that's okay. Like, it's really okay if we all can't, you know, have that much, endure that much suffering and come out and be like, oh, you know, I forgive you or whatever it is. And, and I'm, I'm guessing I also, that he didn't just do it that easily either. There, there was deep spiritual transformation. Yes, <laughs> yes. But, <laughs> but, you know, what we tend to see is these snapshots. Yes. And we don't send, you know, we don't. We get the highlight reel. Exactly. And we don't tend to see the, the really the, the struggle and the work that went on beneath. And so sometimes I think we ourselves can feel like, well, why am I not doing that? Or why am I not able to do that? Or why is my spiritual practice not like that? Or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes for my clients, they go, well, why can't I forgive my mom or my dad or my brother and blah, blah, blah. And I usually try to help people say, well, you know, it's just really hard. And you just got to hold yourself in that, you know, it may or may not happen. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean you're a failure as a human being. Right. The thing, it just, the means, thing it just means that that's, you know, that's where it is. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. Thank you, John. This has been a really delicious conversation. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate having you and, and having this opportunity to get to know you better. Where can our listeners find you? So I, my website is westcoastpsychotherapy.com. And that's, that's my website. And we'll I also have a link in our show notes. Yes. And I also have <coughs> a, um, a Facebook page that I'm probably going to turn into a Facebook group called LGBT Relationship GPS. Ooh, more please. Uh, Yes, turn yeah. that into something. Yes, that's it. So it's basically, yeah. a, you know, just to sort of um, talk about, again, you know, the sort of the invisibility. There's so many, there's so many, you know, sort of podcasts and relationship stuff, but it's all kind of, you know, typically um, heterosexually, uh, you know, concentrated and centered. And so I thought this might be something of interest to me to do. And I started and I'm kind of floundering around a little bit, but. I'll figure oh, it out. I, I think you've got something here though that even the name, the LGBT relationship GPS, like that, it has a a guidingness to it. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. So do check that out, folks. And John, thank you again. All right, thanks, Rebecca. Take care. So I've been thinking a lot about the direction of this podcast and where my practice and my work has been taking me. And I'm gearing up for a pivot. So I want to make sure to let you know that, my, my dear listeners, I want you to be in on this with me. There's more to come, and I'm certainly going to talk about it in future episodes, but what I think I, I need to share with you right now is that there's probably about one or two more interviews to be released, and then... You'll have another episode where I tell you where we're going and what we're doing and what these shifts are going to be. And I want to just kind of put the energy out into the ethers that I'm really excited about this. There's, there's a shift that's coming. And you know, I was talking with um, someone that I consult with earlier today, and we were talking about just like what my work is and what I've been doing. And as we were talking about this and we were talking about the stages that so many of my clients go through, we outlined this this plot and then we got to this point where we're like, and then what? What happens next? And I realized that the reason that that was a little bit more fuzzy is because that's what I'm, what I'm bumping up against right now. That's where I am. So I'm, I'm at the spot of learning to slow down and have more fun to embody the work that I've been doing in a much deeper and richer, more meaningful way, to bring more intimacy into my life and into my work, and to put
push a lot less. So there's a whole new framework coming with the new show. Um, I haven't even figured out a name for it yet. I think I'm letting go of practice of being seen. The past, this season and last will remain available, but I'm, I'm thinking that there, there might be something really new coming. And so I'm deep in processing all of that right now. And anyway, I just wanted to give you a heads up about it. I can promise that the new direction is going to be bold and big. And it's really going to be a lot about me stepping into what connectfulness is and sharing that with you in the context of some amazing interviews that I already have lined up with some guests that I am coming out of my skin excited to talk about all this stuff with. Um, It's going to be deep. It's going to be intimate. It's going to be sexy. It's going to be taboo. It's going to be edgy. And most importantly, it's going to be integrative. So I hope that you'll continue to journey with us wherever we end up. And I'll be sure to let you know that. But in the meantime, I'd love for you to join our online discussion groups that are continuing to meet through September of 2018. You can learn more about them in the show notes. And you're welcome to join our community on Facebook. Find us at Pobscast. And send me a message at practice of being seen at gmail.com. This podcast, The Practice of Being Seen, is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, with amazing behind the scenes support by Christy Hausler. Music by Chris Farris Jr. and Sr., produced by Kidney Stone Studio. I hope that you've been enjoying the show and that you join us next week for another episode of the Pops Cast, brought to you by Connectfulness. <laughs>